Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It's a really intriguing story that is playing out in New York City today and will be going on for a little bit this week. And it goes like this. The legal system down there, the criminal justice system, is in the process of trying to impanel a jury for an upcoming criminal trial. Now, what makes this particular case so interesting isn't just that it is supposed to be a long trial, meaning some of these jurors, all these jurors, if they have jobs, are going to have to be away from work for potentially months, which means missing out potentially if you're not salaried, if it's hourly, you're missing out on paychecks, you're taking time off, you're using whatever time you have. That's a pain. That's a costly pain potentially, but that's a pain. And it's not... Just that you're only going to get $40 a day. That's what you get as a juror there for listening in. So you're not going to make back your money. And it's not just that the jurors are being told and the people are being told that some of the testimony in this trial and some of the evidence is bound to be a little bit confusing, a little bit dense, a little bit heavy, possibly hard to follow. Now, what is at issue here, the real issue, and what makes this story so intriguing, is that this is the trial of Joaquin Guzman. You may not know him by that name. You may know him better as El Chapo, who is only the world's most notorious drug dealer and arguably the world's most notorious, most dangerous, most terrifying living criminal. Uh, The kind of guy that people who are around him at times who don't really work for him or help him out sometimes tend to go missing. Would you want to be a juror on that trial? Would you be lining up to say, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I want to be the guy or the woman who's going to be deciding that that guy should go to jail for the rest of his life because nothing harmful could befall me, right? Well, obviously this is the extreme end of this, but does this actually happen elsewhere? Jamie Stevenson is not only a criminal lawyer here in town, she is the president of the Hamilton Criminal Lawyers Association. She joins me now. Jamie, how are you tonight? I'm good, thanks, Scott. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you for uh, having me. This is obviously a unique case because El Chapo is probably the worst case scenario for someone who is going to be on a jury. But is it ever common? Is it something that you see occasionally, even around here, even in Canadian criminal trials, that people are nervous or intimidated by being on a jury for this kind of reason? Absolutely. I mean, exactly as you said in your introduction, these people have the fate of this person literally in their hands. And you can imagine the kind of pressure in any sort of quote unquote normal criminal proceeding, let alone somebody so notorious for um, being excessive and uh, having these people around him like you described. But this does happen. I mean, it happens even locally when we have trials uh, with people who are alleged to be involved in organized crime, things like that. Uh, People also make up all sorts of fun reasons and fun excuses not to be part of the jury. And you can tell that there's an underlying reason. And it's not just like you said, because there's a lot of time invested and there's a lot of money that you most people lose for sitting on the jury, but also because of this fear. But there are provisions, at least in the Canadian Criminal Code, that allow the Crown's and the prosecutors to make applications to withhold some personal information about the jurist. So that's part of how at least our system helps to protect these people and their identity. But 
nevertheless, it's still a it's still a daunting process. Well, and and part of the reason I br- you you touched on part of the reason that I decided I wanted to talk about this today. It's first of all, it's a fascinating story that somebody would actually be called to do this. And again, with El Chapo, it's probably. You know, oh crap, I got this is my juror notices for this trial. Like, thanks a lot. But we also, as you say, we have in this city a track record, a history of organized crime. We were, and to maybe to some degree still are, a place where there is mafia, there is criminal behavior, organized crime behavior. Have you ever wondered on any of the trials you've done or watched, have you ever wondered if the jurors were in fact going to be safe? Has that ever crossed your mind? At least when I'm representing someone, um, and maybe I'm just not representing El Chapo. I'm certainly not representing El Chapo. <laughs> but I, you know, to me, it's important, and my client knows it's important to have to make sure that the process is fair and to make sure the jurors feel comfortable. And I always tell my clients. Sometimes my clients have this sort of stern and scary look on their face, and and it's not that they need anything by it. It's just that you know their lives on the line. And I say. Try not to engage with the jury in a way that scares them. Because <laughs> you have to remember, these people, we, we as defense lawyers and crowns and judges, we deal with these types of cases on a daily basis. We deal with these individuals that are alleged to have committed these uh, serious crimes. We deal with them on a daily basis. I go into the jails. I see people. People who are coming to act as jurors, generally speaking, 99.9% of them, are, have complete lack of experience in terms of dealing with someone who is alleged to commit a serious crime. And usually when a crime is before a jury, it's a serious crime. It's a homicide. It is a very serious um, drug case. So there are, it's a whole other level of case that you're getting in Superior Court, particularly when it involves a jury. And the key is actually to try and get your client not to appear scary, but it's very difficult to do that when your reputation precedes you in the way that this case does. Well, beyond even asking your client not to scowl at them or try and scare them to death, would you ever tell your clients that if they have friends coming to court to not be doing it, would you ever tell them to instruct their friends or their buddies or their family or whatever to also do the same thing? Just stay out of this, just be nice and don't do anything stupid? Absolutely. Perception is everything. I mean, you know, the jury comes in and the first thing they do is look in the prisoner's box and they look and then the second thing they do is look around. They assess the lawyers, they assess the accused person, they assess the people who are clearly there for them. And they also assess, they also assess the victim and the victim's family who is present. That that issue arose a while back when we talked about another case, but there's there's, you have to make sure that the people who are present are presenting a positive and united front and not an intimidation, because that's not going to inure to anyone's benefit. Uh, Jamie, the, the people down there, the criminal justice people, have said they're going to go and do extensive things to make this easier. They're going to shield the jurors from public view. They're going to keep their identity secret. They're going to do all kinds of stuff. Um, beyond keeping the jury safe, which would be the number one thing. Is there any downside? Because the defense is entitled to mount a proper defense and to have a proper trial. Is there any downside? Is there any negative to the defense if you can't see the jury? I think there really is, because part of our job as defense attorneys is to engage in some fashion with the to connect with the jury, to see that we can connect with them and to help them understand what the process is, and it's very difficult to do that when you can't make eye contact. 
And, you know, sometimes you also want, and maybe not in this case, but you also want to, the jury to be able to see your client, to see your client's true reactions, because having that protection, I, I appreciate, is necessary in these types of cases, but it also disconnects the juror from the human who is in front of them. And that poses a problem as well for the defense. It, so is there... And I'm putting you on the spot because I didn't give you a warning. I was going to ask this question, but is there an answer to this? If there was a case where there was someone who was terrifying and the jury was terrified of this person, is there an answer to be able to accomplish both things, to let the defense have their proper case and also to protect the jury? I'm not sure that there is because, again, you're balancing this protection of the jurors, which they're entitled to do, with the accused person's right to what we call in Canada, make full answer in defense and really face the person who holds their life in their hand. But that has to be balanced. And and where do you draw the line? Do you say to these people, well, look, this is your responsibility because in part as a citizen, it is your responsibility to sit on a jury. And do you, you, how do you balance that with the accused person needing to be able to face their the person who ostensibly is going to make a decision that involves the rest of their life. And I'm not sure that there is an answer because they deserve protection too. But sometimes when you have too much protection, it makes that person seem even scarier. It makes makes it seem even worse. I mean, in Canada, we have, we have certain applications that are made. For example, when a person is in custody, we don't, they don't come in in their shackles. They come in in what we call, they are already in the, the prisoner's box when the jury comes in. So the jury doesn't really know whether they're in custody or out of custody. They don't see that their legs are fastened to a bar in front of them. And the whole reason that we do that is because visibility is important and how people feel. If you see someone who has five guards surrounding them and who's handcuffed around their waist, uh, they appear scary, they appear guilty. And so that's that's a very difficult balancing act. What is the punishment or the crime or the, I mean, how serious is it in this country if you were trying to, if you did something criminally to try and scare a juror or affect a juror or make them vote a certain way? What is What goes on then? Well, uh, there are a number of different ways. Uh, there's, a, there's actually a criminal offense uh, that involves jury tampering. There's certainly intimidation offenses, um, uh, interfering with a justice participant. There are all sorts of different provisions in the criminal code that help protect jurors. And these provisions of the code are taken very seriously. This is not something that's going to result in a slap on the wrist because this is an important part. It, it really it impacts the whole system if this type of activity is going on. So let's say you were El Chapo's defense lawyer. Uh, thankfully for our conversation, you're not, but you know, down the road, who knows that he may pass, he may have an appeal and you may get the call. Um, <laughs> if you were though sitting in here and trying to pick a jury, would it, it wouldn't surprise you at all to hear any number of explanations or reasons why someone would not want to be sitting, correct? It would not surprise me at all. I mean, I've heard any number of reasons and explanations for people who are charged with, uh, drug offenses who are charged with uh, murder. I mean, that scares people. And even if you, it was funny because I had an opportunity recently to hear a story from somebody who happened to know one of the potential jurors in one of my cases. And the person didn't end up on my jury, but the person's opinion of my client right from the get-go 
was completely negative. They were terrified. In fact, they told the friend of mine, I was so thankful not to be picked because I was terrified. And my client sat in the prisoner's box, didn't make eye contact, didn't uh, give people dirty looks, was dressed in a suit, but he was charged with uh, a murder, and that terrified this juror. And it, it shocked me that someone came in with such a negative perception right from the get-go. So you can only imagine, in this case, how people are feeling. And the defense probably isn't surprised at all to, to hear some of the excuses that, that, that come out. So. Yeah, well, we got, we got to run. One of the excuses that was actually given in this is they said, do you know anything about El Chapo? And one of the people said, well, I go to this deli every day and they have an El Chapo sandwich, so maybe I shouldn't be on the jury. <laughs> I'm not sure that one was going to fly, but um, there's any number of others. Uh, Jamie Stevenson, she is the president of the Hamilton Criminal Lawyers Association. We always love having you on, Jamie. Thanks for doing this today. Thanks for having me, Scott. Take care. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.